What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the show. Today I have with me Brianna Battles. Brianna is a pregnancy and postpartum specialist. She has her master's in science as well as her CSCS. And I'll run through a couple of the questions that we talk about because I really thought it was a super interesting conversation, something that we should really be talking about a little bit more. First question is, are there things that you can or should be doing in your pre-pregnancy to help make pregnancy and postpartum easier? How to adjust your mentality around things like training intensity, exercise selection, and body image during pregnancy. Pelvic floor health. What is it? Why is it so important? And how to work on it. And postpartum strength training. How quickly can you get back to your old self, quote unquote? And what does that even look like? And so I thought this was a wonderful conversation. Brianna is lovely, has a lot of really good information across the board from pre-pregnancy through pregnancy and postpartum. And so if you're <laughs> if you're planning on being pregnant at some point or someone in your life is planning on being pregnant and they want to know what to do with their strength training, this is a wonderful episode for you. Enjoy. All right, Brianna, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Hi, thank you so much for having me. Doing great. A absolute, absolute pleasure. You came uh, very highly recommended and... You know, normally I'm the one choosing who comes on the podcast. And, you know, obviously I ask my followers and my clients for recommendations. But this is a field where I didn't have anybody like in my in my mind or my back pocket of like somebody I definitely wanted to know or somebody I knew that I wanted to come on. And so I've only consumed your content and know who you are for a couple of weeks. And, and so this is super exciting for me. I want to get to know you. And it's also a field that I think goes under discussed an area of the field that goes a bit under under discussed and so very excited uh to learn from you and while the nutrition side of things is something that i'm very familiar with the training side of things is, is something that i think i had a lot more questions about and so i'm really looking forward to diving in but before we do that why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself a little bit of a background and how you became so passionate about this part of you know the, the field yeah, I'm Brianna Battles. I founded Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism about five years ago and have gone on to create online education and resources for both coaches and practitioners, but also pregnant and postpartum athletes so that they have good evidence-based and yet relatable information on navigating their training during pregnancy. What I sort of fell victim to and what I see so many different athletes fall into is these extreme camps with a lot of dogmatic information surrounding the fitness industry and how to train during these seasons. So they want to gravitate towards either just do what you've always done, kind of like full send, they got to have something to prove to themselves or other people. So much of their identity is attached to what they look like, what they can do in the gym, et cetera. Or the conservative side of like, well, don't lift over 15 pounds and just do yoga or walk or that's dangerous, you're going to hurt your baby. And so I think a lot of athletes in particular want to gravitate to more of the push boundary side. But with that, and we don't need to be conservative either, but with that, it's I think there's just this messy middle of trying to really look at the holistic experience that this athlete is navigating. And if we are in the business of promoting a lifetime of athleticism and fitness efforts, then we cannot overlook training during pregnancy and postpartum outside of just like, is it safe for the baby? And what does safe for the mom mean? Is that taking into consideration her long-term performance and her pelvic health and her, uh, her core, her mental health, like so many different capacities that people want to throw blanket statements over. And so I have tried <laughs> a long-winded answer to be the person that I needed and that so many of my peers, both as coaches needed and as a mom, like we just need better information. Like I still want to be an athlete. That shouldn't end when my motherhood experience began. And it's very contextual. You're going to have people who are going to say, hey, can I still PR and make gains? And you're going to have other people where it's like, is, that, is it okay if I keep doing my walking routine? I think it's definitely across the board. And you had specifically said working with athletes. So people who are probably currently in a pretty, you know, intense or relatively intense training routine. And they're saying, can I keep doing this? Is it okay if I keep doing this? What percentage of what I'm doing can I keep doing? And those are a lot of the questions I'd like to go over today. But before we go into the during pregnancy, I think I think I when I was creating some of the, just my thoughts around what I wanted to talk about, I feel like there's this like before, during and after. And there's as I was writing it down, I was like, there's way too much stuff to ask you to get all like all of that in deep context with a full understanding. But just from a general perspective, if somebody's thinking about you know or planning or currently trying to become pregnant and they're in a training routine, is there other things that they could be doing that are beneficial for the, like you had mentioned specifically saying is this is this beneficial for my long-term health and performance and the baby's you know the baby's health overall are there things that are there some gentle do's and don'ts for that like pre-pregnancy period 
Yeah. So when thinking about having a baby, that's, I mean, there's so many things that are far outside of my scope of practice when it comes to uh, talking about that. Something that from a coach perspective, I would want any athlete who's considering getting pregnant in the next few months or whatever, starting that process is to take an inventory of their body, of how they feel. Are they peeing when they deadlift? Are they peeing when they do double unders? Like, okay, that's just, it's good data to have before you have a baby go and sit on top of you for like 10 months, you know? Um, so that's good inventory to take is like, are you already having symptoms? Are you somebody who like holds in their stomach all the time or maybe like rip your glutes or maybe you stand, I just, I move around a lot when I talk. So like, maybe you stand really like this. Um, what's your relationship like with your body and your body image? Cause that's going to change. And you have to start to detach your worth from a, what you look like and B, what you can do. Cause I think so many athletes find value and worth from those two things. And that if you're doing it right and doing it in a truly yeah. healthful way, you have to detach from your worth and value and like, oh, your mental health is dependent on your like exercise routine. And it's going to look different. It's going to, and it should look different during pregnancy. And the postpartum phase, if it's done with like a lot of integrity, it has to be a very patient process. So I think just starting that process of really taking an inventory of your mental and physical relationship with uh, just your habits is, is really critical. Yep. That and that's almost a little bit of a different answer, but one that I do like it's instead of, <laughs> it's not, Hey, these are the exercises and style of training and, and, and parts of your body that need to be strong. It's more of like, take stock of where you're at and yeah. certainly take stock of your mental health. It's like maybe, you know, coming to terms with the fact that one, your body's going to massively change. You're literally carrying another human and that, you know, your training trajectory is going to change. And we could talk about like what that looks like. And just essentially you have a new responsibility outside of, your training routine and starting to, I love yeah. that starting to come to terms with, I mean, I think that is maybe thinking too deeply here, but that's like the beginning of, you know, becoming a parent and a mother of like understanding, you know, this shift in the hierarchy of what's important and what you're responsible for yeah. in your life. And just kind of reshuffling that. And that can be, that can be a mind fuck. We're allowed to curse on here, by the way. So that can be a mind yeah. fuck. And so to start to like, you know, take stock of where you're at I, mentally. I think that's, that's, that's fantastic. What of, what of those things that you said, maybe like, okay, I'm peeing while I do double unders or deadlifts. Like, what would that tell you? Yeah, well, that would tell you that you, you know, you, you have symptoms that something in your body is not responding to that demand very well. It could be a tight pelvic floor. It could be a weak pelvic floor. I think people just think, well, I just need to do more kegels and like that'll fix everything. It's not about that. It's really just about having a core and pelvic floor system that responds to the demand placed upon it, whether it's jumping, lifting heavy sneezing, sprinting, going for a long distance run, whatever it might be. And again, th these aren't, this isn't a conversation that is just um, subject to pregnancy and postpartum. This is, we have like 14 year old athletes that are peeing, doing gymnastics or collegiate basketball players that are peeing when they, when they shoot, you know, like there's just, there's a lot, this is a big conversation in the female athlete realm, but one that we're like kind of hesitant to have, and it only starts to come out more when you get a pregnant athlete. And they're like, oh, okay. Um, so that's what that would tell me. And to touch on the, the mental side and answering the question like that, like if we don't address up here first, none of the training recommendations that I make or, or this or that will make sense because it's not really that, that buy-in, that understanding and that acceptance of this is what this needs to look like right now. If they resist it and they want to push boundaries or they have like their own mind made up around what they, what's right or not right for them. Um, that's, that's on them. So it really has to like the mental side of things dictates everything else. And that's why starting there with that as a baseline is the, the determinant of what's, of what's to come. And that's the bottleneck for most people, the hesitation to take action on some of those things, maybe admit that there's things to work on. So there is a, an air of self-awareness that's that that precedes those sorts of actions that are going to be very helpful for you mentally and physically. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense to me and makes a ton of sense, I think, across a lot of you know people's hesitation to take actions like self-awareness first, work on that, that mental side of things, and that will like potentiate the physical side of things as well. Um so the, we can shift over to the during pregnancy and the, you know, I put up a Q and a box of like, Hey, what should I ask Brianna? What do you guys want to talk about? And you know, the question of 
can I lift while I'm pregnant was like, you know, in a million permutations it was asked. And I want to pull two quotes from you, from your page that you've said, and maybe, you know, that can be a springboard for you to expand upon it. But well, the first one was you're not fragile, but you're also not invincible. And the second one was 200 pounds might not be heavy for you, but it is for your abs and your vag. And I think that those were two that I absolutely, I thought I was like, wow, like it's a, it's just a super amazing way of saying like, there's a middle ground. It's not yes. And it's not no. Right. Yeah, because we see like people want exact percentages. They want exact pounds. They want this exact formula to follow, this exact um, like just overall game plan. And that's not how this works. So it's really, again, taking that inventory of 200 pounds might be heavy. What might not be heavy for me? Like I can pull that. I could just get out of bed at 3 a.m. and pull 200 pounds. Cool. But also like 200 pounds against gravity in your vagina and baby, like that just shit's different. And postpartum, it is different. And so it's not about like your, your athletic capacity right now. It's how that impacts the other things that are happening to your body right now. And being able to get to a place of, this was really hard for me, a place of humility where I'm like, can I do it? Yeah, but should I do it? Probably not right now. Like it can wait, it can truly freaking wait. There are so many other things I can do. I can do that same exact movement, but just knowing like it's, this is easy for me and that's good. I don't need to push boundaries and challenge right now. There's a time and place for that. And pregnancy and postpartum is not one of it. And so that's where that ties in the, you're not fragile. Like I'm not saying don't lift. And I, you know, unless your doctor says something, you know, you have a condition where you really can't, but um, we should be able to train in the way that we want to train. How we train is what really matters. So are we bracing? Are we breath holding? Are we trying to slap on a weight belt? Oh, I'm only 16 weeks. I'm not showing that much. I'm like, God, you have a freaking baby in there. Nah, you like, you don't, why? It's not about performance right now. If performance is important to you, then put a higher stake on that for when you're a year postpartum. Then let's talk about that. And look, this is basic strength and conditioning, right? This is basic program design. This is basic progressive overload. And, you know, pregnancy is in a lot of ways, it's sort of just like this deload. We're just kind of gradually taking a step back, gradually changing things. But we have a really hard time conceptualizing that because we have seen such an influx of people pursuing high levels of fitness and they want to hold on to this. You know, like 10 years ago, 20 years ago, this wasn't a freaking thing. My mom wasn't deadlifting me out, you know? Like she wasn't trying to get back to the gym. That was not a thing 30 something years ago. And even 10 years ago, we were just starting to see more women navigate the weight room and get into the squat racks. 10 years ago, that was still, it was still rare. Like I, when I was coming into this scene, I was one of the very few people at like strength conditioning conferences that were women, you know, like this is all so new. So to take strength conditioning for women, and then you add pregnancy and postpartum on top of that, we are entering a world where there's just not a lot of information. So we have to do our best to combine the evidence that we do have in the pelvic health realm and the strength and conditioning performance evidence that we have and walk this line and really tap into the psychology of it where, all right, like there is a, we don't have to have an ego that drives choices. Not, this is not the time. And circling back to saying, you know, doing what's best for your strength and performance or hypertrophy or whatever your goals are long-term might mean throwing things down to maintenance volume and bringing intensity down. And what's, what's kind of cool about that is the amount of stimulus that it requires, that is required to maintain muscle is a small, small fraction of what is required. Muscle and strength is a small, small fraction of what it takes to actually push homeostasis and homeostasis and make adaptations of strength and hypertrophy. Like you, 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 the amount of work that you need to do to maintain the muscle and strength that you have is lower than you'd expect, probably much lower than you'd expect. And for you, yeah. you to spend those, you know, whatever it is, uh, nine-ish months, right, uh, trying to make gains, like the pursuit of more gains in that time might not be what's best for your gains long-term when you could have done a fraction of that work, probably spent a little bit of time, which I'd like to talk about is like maybe shifting the style of training and what you're doing towards maybe what might be helpful postpartum and you know, coming out of that, maintaining all your muscle and strength without having tried to make those gains that maybe actually feel like a step forward might actually be a step back in the long term. Absolutely. And you know, the, the higher level athletes I work with for the most part, they're like, you know what? I don't, my job depends on this. I get paid to be a professional athlete. I'm not going to screw up my bar path with a big old pregnant belly during pregnancy, because actually I want to compete postpartum. 
And I'm not willing to like prove that. Right. So like, that's a good example where like the higher level of lifters I work with are like, we get it. I, I worked for years of my life to get that technique down. I don't want to undo it during this like six months where I'm going around my belly. Okay. So like, that's great. That's a high level awareness, but for the rest of like, say the CrossFit world, Olympic lifting world, that's not super common thought. They're like, well, I don't want, I need to keep drilling this movement pattern. It's, I still got to maintain my lifts in whatever way I can. And there's that desperation, but really you'll be, you'll be ahead of your, ahead of the game by not doing that. You will not lose everything you've built. It's just kind of paused and not even fully paused. It's just different and it's okay. And it should be. And if we're valuing your like internal health and if we're valuing performance, can we have the humility to take a step back and say like, my training can look different and it's okay for it to look different. Frankly, it should look different. And that's not being controlled or whatever. It's just, Hey, like I'm willing to do what I need to do right now on behalf of the long game. Yeah. And again, you show you a couple things there. One, it's ridiculously easy to maintain the muscle and strength that you have currently Two, muscle memory is freaking amazing. And so if you even, I have clients all the time or maybe somebody's just going on a month vacation or something, or I don't know, month vacations. I don't know who's done that in the last 18 months, but like one, you don't lose muscle and strength nearly as fast as you think with with no training. And then two, we see studies where people take, you know, they train for 10 months out of the year, they train for 12 months out of the year. And over the course of years, people gain the same amount of muscle because you de- you resensitize, you desensitize. And so listen, if you're, if you, even if you had to modify your training to a degree in which you lost muscle and strength, like that regaining that muscle and strength that you once had happens at an exponentially faster rate. So the one, you're probably not going to lose anything if you train intelligently with you know, just enough volume and intensity to maintain those adaptations. And then two, like if you lose something, like it's going to be coming back extremely quickly. And like you said, don't, don't leverage the now, the, the later for now, when in reality, if you just kind of do what's smart now, you'll have, be able to kind of maybe get back to your more normal routine a little bit quicker, whether or not that's the goal, but it probably is the truth. Um, I'm curious, yeah. I'm curious what, it's super contextual. And I know if somebody asked me this, that in a different context, I'd, I'd, I'd be annoyed a little bit, but like, are there general advice is there a general advice for people on how training should change let's use the client archetype of like hey i'm 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 between 25 and 40 years old and i'm in a relatively you know intelligently programmed strength slash hypertrophy training program or you know or maybe even crossfit um maybe i'm not at the elite level but i'm also not maybe doing you know we could talk about like lower intensity stuff but i'm curious about like what most people are i suppose what's what most of my listeners and clients are doing it's like strength and hypertrophy work three to five times a week, nothing over the yeah. top crazy. And like, what about my training needs to change? Yeah. So for that kind of archetype, I would say how you lift is what we're really paying attention to. Maybe your form is really conventionally good for powerlifting or for like bodybuilding, whatever. So now it's taking the belly into consideration and pelvic health concerns. And again, kind of looking at that baseline of tendencies, like I talked about with um, preconception is saying, are you somebody who every time you set up for a back squat, you do this and you like big breath hold here, or maybe you're somebody who like sets down into it. So it's like, and then you're generating this pressure or you're holding a lot of tension here, or you're coming up from your deadlift and like really squeezing at the top. So it's like a lot of these habits that have been ingrained into us in the lifting community to this is the way you do it. Not just when you're at 80% of your one rep max, but like this is kind of just every lift needs to be like full lockout, full tension, full brace, breath hold, whatever, this big old setup. I would take an inventory of that and say that would be the number one thing I would suggest for people to make some adaptations to. So then it would be being able to manipulate our pressure and manipulate some of our positions so that there's less demand going out on the midline and less force going down into the pelvic floor when you're pregnant. Like, again, you have a baby that's putting stress on here and down below. Even if you do literally nothing, that the baby's just still there. Your body is adapting. So can our training work with us and not against us? That's what I want to see from a lot of my strength-based athletes. And are you going to see a different amount of, like, a, ver- a varied amount of uh, somebody's potential to 
withstand a certain amount of volume and intensity and certain style of lifts? I mean, is it going to be very different across some, are some people going to feel like they can squat with their normal technique for a, a longer period of time? Some people, you know, you know, first trimester are feeling like, Hey, my, my, a lot of this, I'm going to need to scrap certain techniques, not just from a geographical, I need to, you know, change my technique. Cause I have this, this belly. Now I have this child right. here. Um, but from a breathing and bracing and from a, from a, maybe a pelvic health perspective, are you seeing like a wide range of responses to that? Yeah. And I would say like the earlier you can take that inventory and start even just practicing, like just awareness of like, oh man, I guess I do kind of breath hold for every single lift. So how can I do something different? Because it's not like, you kind of don't want to wait until there's a problem to address the problem, right? Like, cause we know that you're going to have to adapt a lot of that during pregnancy, just to be cognizant of like, I'm not experiencing symptoms. And so what can I do proactively? What can I do to kind of like prehab for this season. And I know right now on social media, we're seeing this influx of like pregnant athletes that are like, okay, inhale, exhale, whoo, kind of draw everything. And now I'm going to squat. It's, it's good intention, but it is overkill, right? Like this is a pendulum swing with everything uh, out there in our, in our world here. Um, but there is a little bit in the middle, like, do we need to be creating that much tension in our abdominal wall and pelvic floor just to support a movement that like, we, it doesn't need that. No. Can we be really aware of like, okay, this system, like every other muscle in order to work well needs to lengthen and needs to shorten. I shouldn't have to think about what my bicep is doing in order to pick up my coffee here, right? It just does its job. And that's what I want for vaginas everywhere. It's just like, let's just bring a little bit more awareness. We don't have to like overkill it. And I think that's what we're seeing now is this trend of like this overkill of recruitment and protection and like, oh, I'm doing this differently, but we're kind of creating a new problem because now there's so much like recruitment and protection of the pelvic floor that like most athletes, this is a generalization, but a lot of athletes already have a hypertonic, which just means a really tight pelvic floor because they're used to sucking in. And like, even you, like if I told you stand up and suck in your stomach, everything kind of goes up. If you let it go, like, okay, like things kind of like give a little bit more, right? So if we're just training our athletes during pregnancy and there's a baby in there and just like, cool, pull everything in and now let's squat. Does that really make sense? Yeah. Like, no, you know? Right. So it's really, I guess, just that inventory of what you do and how you do it makes a big difference. And for any of like your listeners, I do have like a free resource on how to adjust your exercise through pregnancy. And that kind of helps break down a lot of these nuances. So um, like that can help too. I just, I like to point people there because it's such an easy, free, like, if you know nothing else, like, maybe know these things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think it's helpful to, to realize what to pay attention to. Like, and and yeah. and two, two things we're going to come back to is, like, I want to talk about, the, I think there is just 50% of people who hear the word pelvic floor and they are like, oh, yeah, I know what that is. Don't actually have any clue what it is, why it's important, why it's helpful, why is it more in jeopardy during this time. But I think that one of the quotes we had said was, like, um, trust that mom and athlete intuition if you're feeling uh, uh, unsure or you're second guessing and does a lot of this come down to not a lot of it but some portion of it come down to intuition of this feels right this doesn't feel right i know something's wrong am i really is my ego pushing me my goals my trying to pursue more adaptations pushing me to 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 go to a place where i'm uncomfortable and i know it but i'm shunning that part of me is is it part of this intuitive of like this doesn't feel right and you know it or am i really like are there things like me peeing myself in a deadlift it's like I, that is a for sure, like very clear, blatant black and white sign, but it's a lot of this other stuff, like intuitive to the point where it's like, Hey, if this doesn't feel right, it doesn't feel good. If it feels wrong. And I think that's a little bit subjective, like good, right, wrong. Like we don't really know what those mean, but is it intuitive to some degree? Yes. And no, I think like we're told, like, listen to your body. Right. And then like, no one exactly knows what to listen exactly. to. And so I think when we tell athletes, like, well, just kind of really be aware of some things and whatever. It's when they're they're doing this CrossFit open or they are like trying to select a weight. Like, should I go up? Should I add an extra 10 pounds? Should I add that extra 20 on my deadlift? Whatever it might be. Like, and then they're pregnant and maybe they, again, they physically can, but then like, should they? Or what is it going? Are they going to be grinding out that rep? So when they have start to second guess, like, is this right? Like when that even just kind of comes into their mind, like, that's a good sign that, you know what, maybe this is not, like, that's that intuition trying to kick in. Because athletes don't have anxiety around, like, that part as much. I think postpartum is a totally different ballgame, and I can talk about that in a different sense. But during pregnancy anyway, especially working with athletes, 
we're used to pushing through. We're used to kind of like ignoring that. We're in a culture of where like it's praise to pee on the platform, where it's like part of the CrossFit culture to just go pee before the double unders and maybe during the workout or whatever. And like, yet they still pee because that's not how that system works. Um, so I think it is just when you second guessing your readiness or if it's really worth it right now, that's where it comes into play. And man, I get so many DMs that are like, so I'm 24 weeks pregnant and this is the workout or this is my like prescribed, whatever. Yeah. Should I do it? Right. And you just took the time to DM me, girl, you have your answer. Like, you know, like, if you are having that kind of question mark, that's usually, you know, you know, and like respect that because even if you do it, then you're going to be sitting there going, should I have done that? Mm, I don't know. Felt really fatigued or I felt weird. Or maybe I started bleeding like shit. I shouldn't have done that. And then you have to deal with that. Like, and that sucks. No one wants to deal with that. So like, again, this is so temporary that high we get from the workout or from the movement so temporary like play the long game play the long game play the long game yeah i love that i think that that is you're you're there are so many times i'll get a dm with a question and i'm like you by the nature of you taking 10 minutes to type this out like you know the answer yeah. you are looking for me to tell you what you already know and so I, I i get that for sure that's that makes a ton of sense to me that line of logic yeah yeah so let's um I'd love to hear if you were explaining to somebody who had no clue, what is my pelvic floor? Why is it in a position where it needs to be stronger now, maybe now during pregnancy and post-pregnancy? And how am I doing that? There's a lot of questions I'm throwing at you, but um, what is it? Why is it important? And how do I strengthen it to a degree in which I'm, I'm uh, dealing with the fact that my body's changing during this time? Yeah, for sure. So the pelvic floor is just like the base of your core. So it's, you know, it controls all of your, your function from peeing to pooping to sex, anything like that. Um, and it's just like, it's musculature and ligaments, right? That all support the pelvic floor organs. So bladder, um, rectum, urethra, all, all of those things. And so with that, it's a pressure system. How our core canister here works is all a pressure system. This is our core. And we usually just think, well, it's just this, right? But there's a lot of layers of muscle here. And then there's a base, which is down here. So that base kind of gets forgotten about because we just sort of train core. But really, it's not about having a strong pelvic floor, just like it's not about having a strong core. It's about having a coordinated system that matches demand from sneeze to a marathon to a sprint to a deadlift to 200 double unders. Like that is what we're trying to coordinate and sync. Just like if I try to, um, you know, get strong biceps, I wouldn't just do this isometric hold of like holding in my, my holding my biceps all the time. And that's what we see with people from their OBs or from their like their strength coach. He's like, well, just like undo your kegels, you know, like that's not it. Cause that's not how we train any other muscle. And that never made sense to me. And frankly, was one of the, the driving forces for why I was like, this is bullshit. Coaches and practitioners need to do better. We cannot tell people to heal their diastasis just by pushing their abs together or doing kegels constantly like this and expecting like functional and like coordinated results like that. We don't do that with any other muscle, right? We don't, we just don't, that's not how this works. So, um, so really it's about coordinating that and taking that again, that inventory of like, okay, when I inhale, everything should be able to relax. A lot of athletes and just women in general, we've been trained to kind of hold in our stomachs our whole life Throw the fitness industry in there and man, like, God forbid you have a stomach that's just like not super flat. So being able to like breathe in to your rib cage, breathe into your hip bones, like open and then exhale. Okay. That we can gently create some tension here, but people only want to think about tension because that's tight. That's strong. That's all these things. But I mean, that's not because we don't have, we don't have contraction without relaxation. You know, we need that concentric and that eccentric to work in fluidity with the movement that we're trying to do jump sneeze pee poop have sex whatever it may be it all needs to work yeah i love that and i think that maybe you know you're not you're not dropping the barbell and then all of a sudden just doing kegel works you're not like okay like great like no more barbell work here this is just what i'm doing and maybe yeah. would would you say it's more of incorporating an awareness into that that structure and maybe I'd love to hear you talk about breathing and, and how you have framed it as a coordinated system. It's like, you're not dropping the barbell and then automatically changing all your training just to strengthen this part of your body. But it is something that like, are you 
changing this the way you're lifting to make that part healthier? Or are you actually, let's say you have a client that comes to you who is that same archetype as before, and it's like, okay, I do squats and deadlifts. I'm not a competitor, but I go pretty hard and I work out three to five times a week. Like, are you assessing, uh, uh, are you giving them, uh, assigning them specific isolation, like core isolation work? Or are you saying, hey, instead of all of this just Kegel isolation core work, are we going to figure out how to breathe and how to become more aware and coordinate yeah. the system better during everything you do? Yes, everything. Because it is, it's lifestyle and training. Training is like one hour a day for most people, right? Like if we're lucky, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, for sure. Um, so like, it's really putting that awareness into everything that they do. And frankly, like they're not gonna, like with most, like most physical therapists struggle with this, people don't wanna do like five to 10 exercises, three to 10 reps or like, three sets of 10 reps. Like they don't want to do that. And it's the same for pregnancy. So can we incorporate a lot of that prehab into the training that they're already doing? Yeah. That's where you get the buy-in. So if they're somebody like this archetype where they, they're used to deadlifting. Um, I know that they likely breath hold a lot. I know that they likely generate a lot of tension in their lift. I know that they generally kind of are like the extreme here or the, you know, like they're just, they have tendencies, right? That's part of, the culture of lifting is like, there's just set tendencies that they have. So I would say, okay, like actually on your, on your pull, I want you to get down here, inhale into your, your hip bones and exhale, stand up. I just want you to exhale. I'm not cueing their pelvic floor at all. All I'm doing is manipulating how they're breathing and where their tension is going. Because if I start to say, okay, like I want you to lift your pelvic floor, they're probably already kind of gripping their pelvic floor because they're holding their abs then they're used to squeezing and creating a lot of tension everywhere. I don't need to cue their pelvic floor. So what I would cue them on is like, instead of holding your breath and squeezing, we're just, I'm just gonna have you exhale on like the hard part of the movement or right before you lift, like exhale before the hard part of the movement. So then you're generating better distributed pressure and your tension isn't this all or nothing. Can we dial down tension a little bit, which is contrary to what so many power lifters, lift lifters, crossfitters, everyone who lifts kind of knows, like we're kind of like high tension people. Yeah, I think breathing is something I've, after browsing your page, I was like, I really gotta think, rethink that how important this is, not for everybody, it, well, first of all, for everybody, but in this context specifically, maybe changing what you think you know about how you're breathing and bracing and when you're exhaling and all of that stuff. And you had said, just very specifically, is there a, a, a better pattern of inhale, inhale, brace, exhale? that, you know, maybe is, can be generalized across a large population? Or is it more of like, hey, let me look at your tendencies. Are you taking this big Valsalva maneuver? Are you doing this big core belly breath brace and not exhaling until you're, you reach lockout? Or are you exhale three quarters of the way up and, and, and then modifying from there? Or is it there something like you said, where it's like, maybe we're exhaling a little bit sooner to distribute tension across a wider part of that concentric, let's say. Yeah, I would say it's task and symptom dependent, which, you know, is a super annoying answer. That's <laughs> but... the right answer though. That's good. Yeah, <laughs> it is. You know, because like, is Valsalva bad? No, like there is absolutely a time and a place and need for Valsalva and a lot of different bracing and breath hold and tension strategies. But if I'm talking about my pregnant athlete or my postpartum athlete is trying to not pee herself, like, okay, then like, what can I do to keep you lifting, to keep you lifting heavy, but just sort of change these factors that might be influencing what you're experiencing or the potential of what you could be experiencing. So that's why I want to try to manipulate her breathing, her positions, her tension, things like that during this season where it, we do just have to have a little bit more awareness around that. So it's not uh, this, this one way, because I think there's quite a few different ways that we can manipulate the breathing variable, depending on pregnancy, depending on symptoms, depending on injury depending on interest and, you know, load, all those things. Cool. And and I, having listened to you talk for the last half hour, I have a feeling how you'll, how you'll answer this, but just from an intensity standpoint, from a proximity to failure, from a, how heavy, like from a true meaning of intensity, like how heavy can I go? Can I do singles, doubles, triples? You know, can I do heavy sets of five? Like, is there any blanket recommendation or is this circle back to, Hey, if, if you're really questioning things because you know, in your gut, it doesn't feel right, but is there a, Hey, lifting at 90% of your one RM or lifting at one to two RIR, nine to 10 RPs probably has a higher risk than not doing that. Maybe just going just shy of that. Or is it like, Hey, listen to your body again. Yeah, no. And then like all of that is so generic, right? Yeah. Because my 70% is going to be different than your 70%. And that is a number that somehow gets thrown out there. It's like, well, don't lift over 70%. I'm like what the hell does that mean though? 
because that's so different for every single person. So 200 pounds might be super heavy for me, but be, might be nothing for you. Right. We cannot use numbers or whatever as like these regimented guidelines. So I would say if you are having to grind through a rep or you feel like, oh, that's kind of heavy, like it shouldn't be heavy. Or if you had to like really kind of manipulate your position or how you were breathing to be able to pull it, probably not. And then to extend even further, like I have really strong freaking Olympic lifters and power lifters. And they're like, I could throw 300 pounds around. That's not a problem. Cool. Like, I know you can, but like your vagina doesn't know that. Like, you know, like this is, we're like, we have to factor in new things now and new, new ways of thinking and new ways of approaching our training. Can you still deadlift? Yes. Can you still squat? Yes. Can you still lunge and do all these different things to keep you strong? Absolutely. I don't like putting blanket statements on like, don't lift over 200 pounds or don't lift over 50 pounds. That's what doctors do a lot of the time. And it's freaking annoying. No woman wants to be told don't lift over 25 pounds. Most of our toddlers are 25 pounds. So that can't make sense. And it can't make sense on the other end of the pendulum to say, I'm like, don't lift over 75% or don't lift over 200 pounds or anything like that. I would say it really comes down to why, like, really, what's your goal? Like, what is your goal? Okay, cool. You pulled 300 pounds when you're pregnant. Like that's going to get some applause on the internet, but you know what? That's short lived. And like, you don't know what that's doing to your vagina. You just don't. And there's so many things. This is a, a point I try to make often because there are so many things in the pregnancy delivery and postpartum realm that are quite simply out of our control and athletes want to have control over everything. Like we are conditioned to like, well, if I do this and if I eat these macro, the macro, this, this macro, uh, nutrient, whatever amount, um, if I burn this many calories, if I do this, if I follow this program, if I do this, then it's going to give me this result. Pregnancy delivery and birth do, and uh, postpartum do not work like that. There are just a lot of variables that are not in our control and that freaking sucks, but you know, what is in our control? exercise our choice is around there okay and like how we leverage our ego to work for us instead of against us that is within our control and then the rest we kind of just let the cards fall there's this belief system that we can train for birth and just train up until the day like that's not going to guarantee shit it just doesn't you're not going to bounce back faster it doesn't mean you're going to have an easier birth that's all dogmatic information and it's bullshit and it's really shamey to be quite honest and i don't like that and i think that's a message that people want to be told <laughs> they that's a belief system that they they hold tightly to like it's a justification for a lot of their training choices well i'm trying to be fit for birth and it's the greatest athletic event of your life like that's not like it, it's Cringy. just that's not it yeah. like that's just dogma that's not actually true you know, but that's what we want to believe. So it really is kind of challenging a lot of these belief systems and, and being able to navigate in a way that's like, God, I freaking love what my body's doing right now. I respect this and I respect myself enough to make choices and form choices that will hopefully support me for the rest of my life so that I am an 80 year old grandma, not wearing a diaper. Yeah. And there's, no. there's you, there's so much I wanted to unpack there. There's like one, one is, you know, we're talking about these blanket statements of number of pounds lifting that are just so not comprehensive. And it's something that we see all the time in so many different, don't eat over this many calories or this percentage of carbs and fats or whatever. It's so blanket, so not individualized and all of that stuff, but, but relative intensity. And you had mentioned kind of like, Hey, really those reps where you're really make like grinding these out and you're manipulating your technique maybe and you're breathing and you're you're gamifying it those reps where you're at you know one rir zero rir rp nine ten and yeah. you know what's cool again circling back around is i'm not i'm not saying no pregnant women should seek to make gains and you should only do just enough to maintain but what i am saying is at least from where i come from which is more of a hypertrophy background it's like you can make equivalent gains at like yeah. three four rir which is not easy training, but there are no grinders in that set. There's no, right. there's no, I had to, you know, I hip, I, my hips shot up out of the deadlift and I rounded my back and I got the deadlift up. Like this is, that's not going to happen in a set of three or four RIR. And you can not just, I'm not even talking about maintaining gains. You can make gains that at that yep. proximity from failure. And then something you had said was like, Hey, attached though. Like yes, that's the problem totally. that attachment to like, this is what I do. This is how I do it. Yeah. And I don't want to give it up. Yep. You got to hold on to this like identity. And yep. that's really tricky. And you had said being like fit for pregnancy. 
Now, yeah. I'm not I don't know where I would put this blanket line in the sand here, but you you squatting 225 for six or you, you squatting 225 for eight you are not more fit you are like i promise you for the people listening to this who are lifting three to five times a week with like relatively decent body composition like you're already fit enough for practice like you, you don't uh, you squatting 285 or 295 you're not more fit you're not you are like it is the exact same thing especially in this context like this idea i forgot who said it very recently it was somebody actually who's a big time powerlifting coach. He said, once you are deadlifting your body weight, everything beyond that is done for ego. There's no more like advanced health benefits from deadlifting four times body weight. Like you're not more healthy, you're probably less healthy. Probably some joint and connective tissue stuff there. But like, you know, you, if you're lifting and I'm not saying everybody listening to this is in this position, but it's like you making gains right now in the pursuit of being more fit for pregnancy or something that you said which would be bouncing back quicker which i really need to we need to go into that it's like neither of those things are true you squatting 265 for six or seven or eight is not making you bounce back quicker and it's not making you more fit for pregnancy right and then we have to just think about like as coaches and practitioners and people who have an influence online like whether we want to call ourselves influencers or not like if you have a large following and you're documenting this whole process like you are influencing what people believe about this stuff. So like, we do have to take some ownership and responsibility there for what we're sharing and how we're sharing. And like, what's our real reason here? We can say, oh, well, it's just my choices. Right, but like, eh, like let's have a little, let's like expand that conversation there. Um, so our messaging really matters too, because like, frankly, unfit women have babies every day. And unfit women <laughs> have a lot of like, don't have uncomplicated pregnancies and birth experiences and fit people can have really complicated pregnancies and really traumatic experiences. And so to have these dogmatic generalizations, like that's shamey and gross messaging. We need a lot less of that in the fitness industry. Amen. For sure. Now, before <laughs> we move to postpartum, which is something yes. that I find super fascinating, at least psychologically for sure. Yes. But I do want to ask for those who, for the listener, or for anybody, just myself as well. It's like, if you're not working out, let's say you aren't in an exercise training regimen and you maybe are motivated now by, Hey, you know, I, I you know, this totally fine line of logic where it's like, Hey, if I'm, if I was healthier then this all might be a healthier experience. And thus, you know, I'm going to pick up a weight or I'm going to start literally yeah. just walking or whatever. Like what, sort of advice would you give to somebody who's, you know, not in a training regimen, who's deciding, okay, I'd like to give my baby just the environment a little bit more of a, a healthy experience. Like, what can I do? What can I not do? Am I still following these same lines of, if it feels like it's too much, dial back? Or should I not do anything because the, it's too much of a novelty stimulus of going from nothing to something? Like, is it, what do rules apply in that context? Yeah, I think that, you know, exercise has a tremendous amount of benefits for pregnancy. And if you don't have any uh, pre-existing conditions that are, you know, contraindicated during that season for you, I think it's a great thing to start to introduce just in the basics, man. Like I, we want all these different things. I wouldn't jump into some plyometric, you know, like uh, follow along kind of uh, exercise routine. I wouldn't do that, but I would start with just like a really solid, like, are you squatting? Are you pulling? Are you able to push? Are able to just like have just a pretty well-rounded basic, basic, basic strength conditioning program. I will plug. I do have an at-home pregnancy program that is a little bit more introductory. We made it like pre-COVID or right at the beginning of COVID to complement our full pregnant athlete training program because we realized a lot of people no longer had access to a gym. Yep. So that is actually a really good awesome. if you're looking for a low-cost, um, super accessible pregnancy program and you're maybe not as experienced, that's a good place to start. And it is like the basic compound lifts, but like with, with dumbbells. So like you're squatting, you're doing RDLs, you're doing some lunges, you're getting in some conditioning, but it's not pushing boundaries and it can all be scaled to where you're at right now. Yeah, that's awesome. I definitely found myself, you know, honing my at-home training programming skills for sure. A lot of dumbbell RDLs, yeah. goblet squats, Bulgarians. Yeah. Um, and I, I love that you said that because I do think that there's a hesitation to do that. There's, And I don't want, I want people who feel motivated to do that in that moment to, to be able to feel empowered to take action because it can be, and when you were saying all of that, you're like, hey, you know, in that moment, maybe don't go to your elite level CrossFit class out of nowhere, couch to CrossFit, you know, like, uh, you start with something that's well balanced. You're pushing, you're pulling, you're squatting, you're hinging, whatever. And it's it's yeah. within, a, a, you know, it's the basics, and it's not insanely intense. And I thought to myself for a second, like that's 
probably my advice for anybody in any circumstance getting off the couch and starting a workout routine. It's like get in the gym three times a week and do a push pull hinge squat and go home and doesn't need to be close to failure. And again, not to overly get overly, you know, physiological about it, but like if you're not, if you haven't done anything, you, if there's studies of people who, you know, uh, aren't in a training routine that see leg hypertrophy from walking on the treadmill, like you will grow for, you will see, you know, not just see, but there will be things happening physiologically. If you don't do anything and you start doing something, even if it's not very hard, very far from failure, not a ton of sets, not a ton of frequency, like you're still going to see and have physiological changes. And so that's awesome. You know, in all contexts, if you're not somebody who's not in a, you know, in a, in a regiment and going into it, yeah. starting slow and being balanced about it, like you'll still see great gains. And in this context, you won't threaten that upper end of like just doing right. too much. Right. So it's, I mean, great exercise routines are not about just intensity and load, you know, it's just like about having like a balanced approach to what you're doing and the balanced approach to why you're doing it. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Let's, we got like 10 minutes left. I want to push into this postpartum state here. And I think what struck me as the most fascinating, but I also, I really want to talk about the, the physical, but the psychological of, you know, how do we reconcile this, this, you know, it starts in the beginning, like we talked about, when you're starting to be a little bit self-aware about your body image and start to accept what is happening and reshifting some of those priorities of what's important to you. And then it probably, you know, you know, if you're not able to fully come to terms with that, it probably gets worse as over time or, or not gets, not probably gets worse, but can get worse. Okay. I'm growing this baby inside me. It's getting bigger. I'm getting bigger. And I'm, I'm, it, it's, it's like this build up to the end where I can then go back to who I was before. And how do we reconcile this innate like need to get rid of my baby weight and go back to get my body back, so to speak? Yeah. Oh man, it's tough. Like there's just so much pressure and it's like internalized pressure. And like, you don't have to love how you look. I think that we have this like there's like the body positivity movement that like goes to an extreme, extreme messaging. And so again, like with everything, there's a lot of like, there's just a messy middle, right? Like you can love and appreciate your body and also be like, I don't want to feel or look like this. And I want to go back to what I looked like before I got pregnant. And I think again, it's, it's shifting our messaging as a fitness community and saying like, okay, well, it's not about going back. We are moving forward with a new homeostasis. Like, this is a new body. It is not what it was. Frankly, like shit has changed. It just has no matter what, like, even if you're uncomplicated, which like, there's no such thing as an uncomplicated birth. That didn't make sense to me, but like the physiological process is a little complicated. Uh, there's no going back. There's only moving forward. So now we have to take inventory again of like, well, what are my considerations? Am I, did I have a vaginal birth? Did I have a cesarean? Did I have do I have a diastasis? Well, probably because that happens in every single pregnancy. So am I doing things that will help rehabilitate this process or am I just desperate to get going again? And I'm just going to like push intensity to kind of find my exercise routine or am I having pelvic floor symptoms or what are, am I more prone to pelvic floor symptoms because of my pregnancy, because of my training, because of my birth experience, whatever that might be. So it really is taking this inventory of your body because people want to solve their body image issues a lot of the times through deprivation and by pushing boundaries and exercise so i'm not going to eat a lot and i'm going to try to move more and they try typically early on a lot of my athletes are like well if i can't like go back to crossfit yet i'm gonna walk five miles a day yeah. i'm like okay like walking five miles if it's it's just walking but that's still a lot on a healing body impact 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 every single step on a vagina that frankly even if a baby didn't come out of there it's still like withheld the stress of of a baby in there for a long time your structure has quite literally changed you went from having a baby way out here to now like okay maybe you just have like a weird belly now which is super normal and i think we also have to normalize the fact that like stomachs change and things just change and we are all changing all of us all the time the older we get we are changing no matter what this is all going to keep changing and unfortunately postpartum just really like highlights a lot of that change some temporary some things that are forever changed and and that's just really hard it's just that hard yeah I'm and it's really tempting to kind of dive into a lot of disordered eating habits, a lot of disordered exercise habits, um, body dysmorphia. It's just like, we are so vulnerable 
So the last thing we need are coaches and influencers saying like, go, go, go buy my program. This will help you get your body back or get like, get your stomach flat or this or that. And like, we are, moms are so targeted with really shitty messaging in the fitness industry. It's gross. Super fucking cringy. Yep. And insanely cringy. There's the two biggest questions that I got and and I'll come to those in a second, but I do think that there's this, you know, it's, it can be frustrating because it is frustrating for, I guess, one reason. It's like, it feels like, you know, if you have, if you were pregnant, now you have a baby or now you don't like, and you just went through pregnancy, like that change that is permanent, semi-permanent one is different for you than it is for somebody else. And it, it is victim falls victim to the same social media, you know, situation of highlighting people who go back to looking exactly like they did pre-pregnancy, which is literally the massive anomaly. And why not me? Why is that not happening with me? And then it also feels like something that you didn't, you know, didn't have control over it. It's almost frustrating. It's like, I didn't, I didn't, you know, I had a baby first of all, but it's, it's not like I gained a bunch of weight. I, and I don't deserve this. It didn't, it did, uh, you know, it kind of happened to me. And, it, you know, the easiest thing to say is like, well, like, look at what, look at what you got out of it and and there's like you know a massive I, w- I want people to feel and it's easy it's tough for me to say I almost feel guilty saying it as a man it's just like this is something that you created that in 10 out of 10 100 out of 100 1000 of 1000 times is worth it um yeah yeah and I and, and just it's just hard though because if you see like okay well, like I have stretch marks now yeah. or I have like a, a changed stomach like whether it's fat or not, like skin, fat, whatever it might be, or my boobs, like they're, they're big and now they're smaller. Now they're this, now they're that. And like, am I still beautiful? Am I, is this going to affect my fitness? Am I still like loved? And in the fitness industry, we put so much value on aesthetics. And again, it truly is short lived. Like if we're, if our message is, is holistic health and a lifetime of fitness, then we have to understand that things will change we are all aging like aspects of who we are right now what we look like right now it's changing anyway and again postpartum highlights that because there was a lot of dramatic change at once and so how can we take the body that we currently have that we are like maybe we're trying to improve some symptoms maybe we're trying to rehab maybe we're trying to progress into the things that we want to do maybe that that were similar to what we were doing before maybe we do want to get back into those things So how can we do that in a way that respects our current body? And are there going to be aesthetic changes? Maybe, probably, cool. Is that immediate for most people? (laughs) No, it is truly a process. It's a process that takes a lot of time. And when we're talking about women who are choosing to breastfeed, when we're talking about you're not sleeping very much, we're talking about this huge shift in your life and your identity, maybe your relationship, just there's a lot of stressors there that really impact your health and impact your body from the inside out. And so it's just, it's respecting the season that you're in, respecting your body and your brain for where it's at right now. And knowing that where you're at right now as an early postpartum person or six months postpartum or a year is just, it's truly not where you're going to be. Like it's going to be different and it can seem really frustrating. Um, but habits, in a lot of ways make the biggest difference. Um, and whether it's just to have the routine again or to feel good again, even if things are different and look different, or maybe like it does lead you back or lead you into the aesthetic that you you want. Cool. Again, it's it's trying to detach our worth from aesthetics and from performance. Yeah. Those are just, those are like nice byproducts. Those are like, that's cool. That's a great benefit, but I'm in it for a lot of other reasons. And that's what we have to place the value on as a society. And if you have a lot of male listeners um, too, I think that's something that that relentless encouragement from the men in our life also make a big, a big difference. It's like, we think we almost in some ways need the permission and, um, and encouragement to stay like, God, I think you're freaking amazing. I think this is awesome. I want to support you. I think that like there's so you you bring so much to the table that extends so far beyond what you look like. And I don't worry about your skin hanging or I don't care about your stretch marks or I don't care about your scar. Like just more of these conversations where we are able to address the things that like I think you have a problem with, but you're like, I don't fucking care. Like, I don't think that's a big deal. And like most men I know are like, 
nah, like it's fine. I don't care about that stuff. I just want a healthy, like I want you to feel good and healthy. Yeah. And I think that there, you know, there's something that I talk about when I have clients who come to me and they come to me in a place of hopelessness and they feel not great about themselves or, you know, somewhere they're in, you know, you reach out to a coach because you're looking to change something. It usually comes from a place of, you know, I'd like to be somewhere I'm not. And what I find very powerful is getting, not getting that client to the aesthetic or health or whatever goal. Yeah, that's great. Getting to your end goal, phenomenal, fantastic. But what's more powerful, at least in the short term, and it makes me feel good about what I do is getting somebody to what I would call like the self-efficacy pit stop where somebody, you might not be at that final stage. Let's say I'm going to draw a parallel here to somebody immediately postpartum who's like looking to try and get back to it and get back to their old self. And you might not need to get back to your old self to start like to the old you to start feeling really good again like it might feel good to get back to your training regimen in, in you know in a moderate way in a very controlled way and go out for walks and start to get some of that sense of normalcy back like just doing that you might think you need like yeah, i need my washboard abs again and then i will be happy but maybe just getting yeah. back some some of your habits back and getting into the routines just going and having the support of your significant other man that's gonna feel fucking awesome without necessarily needing to be there and i think the question that needs to be asked is like, well, I don't, I'm not sure how much nutrition coaching you do with, with clients. I'm not too familiar with that, but is that, you know, where, where does that conversation begin of like, I'm in the hospital and you get a text message. You're like, Brad, I just had my baby. What's our deficit going to look like? Like, where is where, not I, I feel psychologically, I think that's a different conversation, but physiologically, what are the potential risks of doing that? Or if not, there are none and, and what's the, maybe line of questioning that goes from, okay, I'm postpartum. Can I do a deficit? Should I be healing my body? Should I not be in a deficit because I'm healing? Should I, what are some of those discussions? Oh yeah. Um, <clears throat> it's complicated and I don't do too much nutrition coaching because I think it does veer from the, the realm that I like to stick into. Sure. Um, so I do a lot of referring out for that and the coaching that I do really focuses on habits. I don't like talking deficits and macros and calories with any of my postpartum moms especially my athletes, because they already have this internal like um, timeline, like that they want, I want to look like this. I want to do that. I want to do these things. And so, and they're trying to acclimate They're They have a shifting identity, <clears throat> which is like, so key, like figure out, this is what I was told by a man who I didn't even know very well after my first baby. And it freaking kicked me so hard in the soul, but I will, I'll always be thankful that he said this to me. Like I was back at the gym four weeks postpartum. I was like, yeah, I'm like, I'm just like ready to get back in here. I just miss it so much and want to like really start dialing in my nutrition. He's like, girl, like go home and learn how to be a mama first. And I was like, fucking rude, you know? And then like it just sat with me and sat with me. And I'm like, I know he didn't mean that in a mean way. It was just like, he's not wrong though, you know? And that was something that just, <clears throat> for me, that made, it was a good check. And it wasn't, I mean, I wish I would have done them a lot more differently that first time around. Um, but I do think that if we start putting a high emphasis around body composition changes in that postpartum, early postpartum chapter, the first six months postpartum, it's just brutal for up here. It is one, like our mental health is already very vulnerable during that season. If you're an athletic person, you like heavy control and nothing about early motherhood it, it, there's just no control there. So we seek it out in macros and calories and whatever. And I think it's a very freaking slippery slope to be completely honest. And that's why I don't really recommend going down that path until shit has stabilized all the other things in your life. Has your sleep stabilized? Have, do you understand your baby more? Is how's your breastfeeding relation? Like what's that like right now? Are you, is that shifting and changing? Okay. Maybe like, and we kind of hit these leaps in our postpartum process too. So there's like, and this is, this is just my um, observation. I know that there's really no like data around this, but what I have seen with myself and with a lot of athletes I work with is like around like three or four months, there's a shift postpartum. And then around like six to seven months, there's a shift around nine months. There's a shift around 12 months. There's a shift. And then around 18 months, there's a shift. And it's usually pretty subtle. A lot of it has to do with nursing or hormones, getting your period back. Like maybe you're getting more sleep. You just understand your new life more, whatever it might be. There's a lot of variables that influence it. So those are some things that we can use as like almost like informal data points to know like when is a good time for me to like to healthfully start really kind of 
looking at my nutrition. Okay. Do I want to dial in a little bit more? You've got to address all the other variables first though, because if you go into a deficit and you're not freaking sleeping, you're going to ruin yourself. And if you go into a deficit and you are still trying to like heal your prolapse or improve your diastasis, you're not going to do it because you're also breastfeeding and you're also like not sleeping. And so it's like, get all your big rocks first that aren't tied to calories and macros. And once you can check those boxes freaking consistently, then let's talk about dialing in your nutrition. So that is my, that is my bias. But I think that if, again, we're like totally respecting this holistic chapter of an athlete's life and a woman's life in general, like whether she identifies an athlete or not, um, we have some big rocks to consider that like we can make a lot of changes without being neurotic around doing a cut. Like say like, Hey, are you hydrating enough? Are you getting a lot of protein? You don't have to track to know if you're getting a lot of protein or not enough protein. You don't have to track to know, like, are you, do you have like, are you, you're hitting your micronutrients too, just to keep you healthy. We don't have to be meticulous to know that you are taking steps through those habits that support you in this process. So we can be aware again of our take inventory of our protein or sort of have an idea. I need more, I need less and whatever, um, our hydration. Those are things that we can do, but I wouldn't suggest being as a, meticulous. a strict. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Your no, no room for meticulous nature there. Yeah. <laughs> Your body just went through some shit. And you know, while yeah. there's a camp of people out there that are like, Hey, you know, it's never going to be perfect to get time to do a deficit. Like there, I have this conversation with people all the time who post that kind of shit. It's like, the, it's never going to yeah. be perfect. Well, guess what? There are some times that are way fucking worse than others. Like it's never going to be perfect, but there, this is a shit time to do it. And you know, I, you had, you had, uh, you know, there's, physiologically there's a there's a reasoning behind not wanting to do a deficit specifically if you're breastfeeding you know because you're probably also burning maybe three to six hundred extra calories a day doing that and so you're probably going to want to make sure that you're not in a nutrient deficient state for the fact that you're breastfeeding and there's physiological then there's psychological i think that you had brought on a lot of the psychological and whether you think it's your bias or not this is your world and so your bias means a ton and i think that yeah. i totally agree that if you shoot right back into trying to lose weight one physiologically not not your best play and two you're only reinforcing that in lieu of one you just made a baby and you probably have some really more important things to be dealing with your sleep probably is gonna suck for maybe the next year like uh, you're getting your hormones back to a place where they're you know a little bit more stable and probably can can handle being in a deficit a little bit more and so you know I, you had said something about feeling of locus of control this this feeling of like calorie counting being something that we reach for to have this feeling of control and you know, you and I might slightly diverge of like, hey, could you count or not? I would say if you count, for sure you're not doing a deficit. And if that gives you a feeling of control because it helps you get your protein back and maybe it helps you, you know, make sure that you're having enough fats and maybe it is a feeling of control. Like, I don't know if that pursuit of feeling of control is something I inherently think is not a great idea at that time. But I, if it, if it masks the other things that you should be focusing on like how you're feeling and your pelvic floor health and your baby's health and your sleep and your you know your relationship at that time if it's masking those things and you're using it as a something to focus on outside of those things that are more important yeah sure i think in those contexts definitely not a good idea excellent yeah you, you say bias but like, you're the expert yeah yeah no but i mean i agree like there's like everyone is on their own individual path and i'm also a huge believer in autonomy like I can deliver a broad message, but then also know like we are on our own path of figuring out what's right for us and our body and our experience and like take inventory of all of these variables so that you can make really informed choices and then know that like, okay, what is my tendency here? What is my mental health tendency here? Because if you're, yeah, you said like we're masking, we're trying to like, we're just, like I got so obsessed with trying to like not look like I had a baby that I live with a lot of regret that I just like, I freaking missed, I just missed, I just missed out. Like I was so obsessed with shit that just, you know what, like it happened anyway. Like I didn't need to rush it. I didn't need to push it. And I didn't need to jeopardize what was already a hard time in my life on behalf of looking smaller than for who, like who cared? No one, no one. And it all regulated for me anyway, because my habits were really solid. I didn't need to be in a deficit. I didn't need to be meticulous. It's just like those habits have a great carryover. And I think that trusting that is really hard when you, when you're in a body that is very unfamiliar looking. So we want to like hold on tight and that's, it's like that body image piece. It's like, man, 
I've never looked like this before. I've never had a stomach look like this or boobs or whatever. Like everything's puffy, everything's swollen. It's hard. So yeah, we want to fix it. But like, don't go fixing it and miss out on what else is important. Like the woman you're becoming, the mother you're becoming, the human your baby's becoming, like all of those things you don't freaking get back, man. You just don't. You can count your calories and get to the gym and all those other things for the rest of your freaking life. You will never get that time back. Yeah, I love that. That, that was that was fantastic. Um, we're going to end on that note, Brianna. It was absolutely amazing having you on. This was, I thought it was going to be a fun conversation, but it blew it out of the water. It was a really, really great time. Thank you so much for coming on. Tell people where they can find you. I'm going to plug some of those. I'll link some of those resources in the, in the description. So just kind of give people a refresher of what those are. And I, I really appreciate you having you on. Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me at uh, briannabattles.com on Instagram, briannabattles. The brand page is pregnant.postpartum.athlete on Instagram. And I have a lot of resources, a coaching certification for coaches who want to do a better job I'm supporting pregnant and postpartum athletes. That's called pregnancy and postpartum athleticism. And then I have pregnancy program, postpartum program, all different things. So if any of this messaging or information has resonated with you as an athlete, coach, or practitioner, you can get all of it on my website. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Where Optimal Meets Practical. If you liked the episode, it would mean the world to me if you posted a screenshot to your social media or left a five-star review on iTunes. That stuff really helps. If you ever want to get in touch with me, just shoot me a DM on Instagram, at Jordan Lips Fitness. I'm always around to chat. Thanks, guys. Have a good one.